70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. I am Samuel Mukasedi Nsinga, a regular listener of KBS World Radio. I am sending this video message from a university campus in Nantes, France. Congratulations on KBS World Radio's 70 years of service. I believe you have been very successful in promoting Korea to the rest of the world. I also thank you for selecting me as one of your official monitors. I fell in love with Korea thanks to your channel. It was around 2012 or 2013 when I first caught a shortwave broadcast from KBS World Radio. I was only 9 or 10 years old. The fact that I could hear about Korea, the country of morning calm, in my home country of Cameroon, near the equator back then, is just amazing and beautiful. I wish the staff and the listeners of KBS World Radio all the best. See you. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Tuesday the 24th of October and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-wo. South Korean authorities have found four North Korean individuals who were aboard a boat south of the inter-Korean maritime border in an apparent attempt to defect. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. A joint South Korean-US research team have successfully developed a sensory nerve prosthesis, a groundbreaking technology that can transform the lives of lower limb amputees. We'll meet the co-developers for our in-depth today. And coming up for Touch Basin's Hole, we'll be connecting with Austin Dean of the LG Twins after they clinched the regular season title for the first time in 29 years. Let's begin Crow 24. A presumed family of four crossed the eastern maritime border from North Korea on Tuesday. They have reportedly expressed their wish to defect. They are now being questioned by authorities. However, in the meantime, criticism has emerged of holes in the military surveillance and vigilance after a failure to find the North Koreans' boat until being alerted by civilians. For this and other major headlines of the day, we have joining us in the studio now our Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service, Kim In-kyung, In-kyung hello. Hello, Chang-ho. So four individuals believed to be members of a single family crossed the border from North Korea along the coast of Sokcho, Gangwon province early morning on Tuesday. It's extremely rare for North Koreans to cross by sea. Can you tell us what happened? 
Sure, the group of one male and three females traveled on a wooden fishing vessel no larger than five tons, used by the North Korean military, but they were unarmed and not wearing military uniforms when found at sea. A high-ranking government official told KBS that they are presumed to be members of a family and that their identities will be confirmed after a joint government investigation. The last time North Koreans crossed the eastern maritime border to defect was four years ago, after which it became the subject of an investigation after they were found to have been forcibly repatriated. Defectors also crossed the western maritime border in May and are believed to be still in the country. In the meantime, as I mentioned, the military is under criticism for its surveillance and vigilance capabilities after it emerged that the North Korean vessel crossed the de facto maritime border from the north to the south undetected. Can you tell us more? Yes, according to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, it launched an operation to track down the boat as a suspicious vessel around 5.30 a.m. after its radars and thermal observation devices spotted the boat. The JCS sent a patrol aircraft and high-speed boat but failed to find the North Korean vessel until it was alerted by a private fishing boat. What did the Navy say in its defense? The Navy said that conducting surveillance on the NLL in the East Sea is more difficult than watching the NLL in the West Sea, given that the border is short and there are many islands. On the other hand, the NLL in the East Sea extends more than 400 kilometers long, making it difficult to spot small-sized wooden vessels far out at sea. Tuesday is not the first time the military failed to properly detect a North Korean fishing boat that crossed the NLL in the East Sea. The military also failed to spot the North Korean fishing vessel carrying four people mentioned earlier in 2019. Yes, we'll see if the military does uh, take more measures now uh, that this has been revealed. In the meantime, we'll wait to see uh, what the North Korean defectors uh, say and whether they will uh, remain in South Korea. Moving on now, lumpy skin disease in cattle is fast spreading across the country with the total number of cases rising to 27 in less than a week. Can you tell us the latest? Yes, lumpy skin disease has now been confirmed in Gangwon province and Incheon after earlier being found in Gyeonggi, South Chungcheong and North Chungcheong provinces. It's spreading fast as the first case was only confirmed on Friday. According to the Agriculture Ministry, 10 more cases of the virus were confirmed as of Tuesday afternoon, including at a farm in Yanggu County, Gangwon Province, three farms in Incheon's Gangwa County, one farm in Suwon, Gyeonggi Province, and five farms in Seosan and Dangjin, South Chungcheong Province. How are the authorities responding to stop its spread? Livestock authorities are focusing on vaccination and quarantine, with all heads at confirmed farms set to be culled and emergency vaccination completed at farms within a 10-kilometer radius by the end of the month. By early next month, 1.7 million vaccines will be distributed and administered in regions including Chungcheong and Gyeonggi provinces. In a cabinet meeting on Tuesday, Prime Minister Han Dok-su said the next three weeks are crucial, considering that it takes roughly three weeks for antibodies to form after vaccination. Let's turn now to President Yoon sang trip to the Middle East. Uh, the President and Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman adopted a joint statement on ways to boost bilateral cooperation. It was the first joint statement between the two nations since 1980. Can you tell us more? 
In the statement issued on Tuesday, the two leaders agreed to further strengthen and develop a forward-looking strategic partnership. According to the statement, the two sides will sign a memorandum of understanding on the operation of a joint strategic partnership committee and engage in close consultations in the Middle Eastern countries' implementation of its Vision 2030 National Development Plan. Seoul and Riyadh also agreed to expand investment in trade, construction and infrastructure, defense and the arms industry, energy and the climate, as well as cultural and personnel exchanges. Regarding the Israel-Hamas conflict, the two sides voiced opposition to attacking civilians in any way and agreed to cooperate with the international community to provide swift humanitarian assistance for civilians. Security condition on the Korean Peninsula was also part of the statement. The leaders condemned all violations of UN Security Council resolutions aimed at blocking the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Qatar is next on President Yoon's itinerary with a summit planned with the Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani on Thursday, on Wednesday. Uh, can you tell us about what we can expect from that meeting? The state-run Qatar news agency released an interview with Yoon on Tuesday in which the president pledged to expand cooperation with Qatar beyond energy and construction to investment, defense, agriculture, culture and people exchanges. He expressed hope for Seoul to contribute and for two-way cooperation in Doha's National Vision 2030 initiative to become an advanced society of sustainable development and bring a high standard of living for its people. The president proposed an expansion of bilateral ties beyond Qatar's supply of gas and oil to South Korea and South Korea's participation in the establishment of Qatar's industrial foundation to cutting-edge industries. More than 60 South Korean business leaders in the digital, bio, smart farm and cultural content sectors are accompanying Yoon on the two-day visit and he hoped that businesses from the two sides will have a chance to discuss cooperation. And finally, shifting to domestic political news, understand that the rival parties made a quote-unquote gentleman's agreement to refrain from picketing and heckling opponents at the National Assembly. Can you tell us what this is about? Well, it's no secret that tensions between the People Power Party and the Democratic Party have escalated into heated exchanges at the National Assembly on multiple occasions. The floor leaders of the two parties met on Monday and agreed to improve the parliamentary culture and promised to refrain from engaging in picketing and heckling of opponents. The rare agreement between the two parties came after a series of incidents where lawmakers showed unruly behavior at the National Assembly, interrupting speeches and boycotting audits for hours. The two sides are also trying to win support ahead of next year's general elections. A joint survey conducted by four local pollsters published earlier this month found that 75% of respondents aged 18 and over had a negative opinion of the current National Assembly, criticizing lawmakers for spending more time on political disputes than on their legislative duties. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. For our in-depth today, we're talking about a scientific breakthrough. Lower limb amputees suffer from various functional difficulties due to the absence of sensory communication between the human nervous system and the lost part of the body. Without the nerve and muscular integration, they often experience lower balance confidence. But scientists from Korea and the US have now developed a new sensory leg neuroprosthesis a prosthetic leg that is connected to the body's nervous systems. This is the first of its kind 
integrating artificial limbs to the body's physiological systems. To tell us more about this, we have two of the co-developers of the technology joining us on the line now. First, we have Professor Kim Daegu from the Department of Physical Education at Korea University. Professor Kim, hello. Hi. Thanks for inviting me to join this radio show. And we also have Dr. Hamid Shakar, Department of Biomedical Engineering at Case Western Reserve University in the U.S., Doctor, hello to you too. Hi, good to be with you. Thank you both for joining us today. It sounds like a, a remarkable discovery. We'll dive straight in. Professor Kim, can you tell us about the sensory neuroprosthesis leg that you and the team have developed? Yeah, of course. Um, our team uh, recently developed a sensory neuroprosthesis connect, connecting a commercial prosthetic leg to the brain. Um, when individuals with low limb amputation wear our, our technology, they can feel some sensation of touch and movement in their prosthetic leg. That allows the user to perceive the prosthesis as a part of their body. Uh, I believe I mean, we'll uh, explain more in detail later, but briefly speaking, our technology is based on implanting microsensors around the nerve inside the thigh of the residual limb. Also, the bottom of the prosthetic foot is attached to the, to the insole with foot pressure sensors. These foot pressure sensors are connected to the nerve implanted with sensors via Bluetooth protocol. So, for example, when the prosthetic foot is in contact with the ground, the foot pressure is generated and it's transmitted to the brain via nerve-implanted sensors. This allows the user to perceive the touch and movement of their prosthetic leg. So based on the restoration of foot somatosensation, they are able to control their walking. So that's a quick overview of sensory neuroprosthesis we developed. Right, so the patient is getting real-time feedback from uh, implanted microsensors in the thigh, which are connected to uh, pressure sensors on the foot of the prosthetic leg. Uh, Dr. Shaka, can you explain a bit more? Uh, we said that it involves implanting microsensors. Does that mean that this requires surgery? Uh, that is correct, but uh, the surgery is actually is considered an outpatient surgery, so it's a small procedure. Uh, participants who are interested in the study come in to the hospital, and they receive the implant, and they can leave the hospital even the same day or the day after, and they can soon resume using their prosthesis as soon as the incisions are healed, which typically takes about a week or 10 days. And uh, although it has, uh, it requires surgery, but um, uh, when they receive this implant, the implants can stay in the body for a very long time. For example, our first participant um, uh, received the implant back in 2016, and he's still using them. So... Um, I guess it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, pros and cons. Mm. They receive the implant, but at the same time, they don't need to 
you know, wear a device every day because it's inside their body and they don't need to think about it. Right. So while it may be a minor surgery, the improvement in the quality of life, I'm sure, uh, will greatly outweigh uh, some of the concerns that many will have. Uh, as I understand it, Dr. Shakar, the key breakthrough is the fact that until now, there has been no commercially available device able to provide sensory feedback to leg amputees. In other words, they cannot feel the prosthetic. Is that right? You are right. Uh, despite many advances in the prosthetics technology, Still, we don't have a prosthesis that can provide sensory feedback. And if you think about it, we actually use that sensory feedback quite a lot, though we don't pay attention to it. If you're going outside and uh, there is ice or or the ground, you step on uh, sand or different um, type of terrains, you immediately feel it because Um, the touch sensors in your foot send that information to your brain and your brain is able to coordinate your movement. Um, By providing the sensory feedback, uh, we are hoping that um, we improve balance and we could reduce the risk of fall, which could be devastating in uh, people with limb amputation. Indeed, this will inevitably give hope to a lot of people who have struggled with Uh, prosthetic legs uh, and perhaps have shunned them uh, altogether as well. How far away are you from developing your prototype into products uh, that people can use and buy? Um, That's a a very good question. So we started this research actually um, after making sure that um, the devices we put in the body are safe uh, after running some animal trials, which my colleagues before me had done that, uh, we were able to uh, go ahead and start our uh, human trial. And so far, we have five people implanted with this technology. With uh, We show that there are some functional benefits having this system. Uh, now, we just receive some additional Uh, research funding to push this technology outside the laboratory. So our next step is uh, to send someone home and see how this technology can help them with activities of daily living and how they can use it while they're not in a controlled environment like uh, our laboratory. Yes, of course, uh, developments like this can take time, but uh, it also... uh, brings excitement to a lot of people as well. Uh, Looking ahead, Professor Kim, how far do you think this technology can improve? Is there hope one day that this technology can be further developed so that the product becomes non-invasive as well, so that amputees can wear devices without the surgery? Yes, um, yeah, we can make it. Uh, With non-invasive technology, uh, the electrodes could be placed on the skin. Um, and uh, we can provide you know, similar sensory feedback, which sounds awesome. By the way, um, several non-invasive technologies are already available for both upper limb and lower limb amputees to perceive the movement of the prosthesis without surgery. Um, the non-invasive technologies are valuable in part because 
they are wearable sensor-based system, so they don't need, you know, they don't require uh, taking surgery, mm. and uh, they are relatively cheap, so inexpensive compared to invasive technology. But the problem is that they are less accurate enough right. compared to the, uh, compared to the invasive technology we use. So from this point, our technology is highly accurate and safe. Um, so at this moment, we mainly focus on upgrading our uh, invasive technology, as Hamid mentioned earlier. But yeah, of course, we are interested in making non-invasive uh, sensory neural processes in in the near future. Right. So perhaps one day, but still a remarkable development. In the meantime, of course, safety is paramount. Dr. Shakar, I understand that your research is not limited to uh, lower limb amputee, uh, amputations. Can you tell us about the development of neuroprosthetic hands and your research outcomes there as well? So I, I should mention that um, we have uh, a big research effort here at Case Western Reserve and Cleveland VA. Uh, there is another group that I closely work with, and they uh, have shown that the, the same technology could be utilized for folks with upper limb amputation, and they were able to restore um, touch sensation in the hand and um, they have shown that um, people who are missing a hand um, can again touch surfaces, touch uh, their loved ones, hug their uh, children, and uh, there is of course the emotional component of regaining the hand sensation. Uh, so there is a there is a big effort going on, and uh, I'm glad to be part of that. But um, the goal is really to connect artificial limbs, either hand or leg, uh, to, the, to the body. Because if you think about how our um, extremities are connected to the bodies, they are connected through nerves, bones, muscles, and uh, that uh, neural connection is quite important. So that's where we are working, and we make sure that uh, we are bridging the gap between artificial devices, between prosthetics, and natural limbs. Uh, simply, we we aim to redef uh, redefine the concept of disability. If someone loses a limb, they receive a prosthesis that would be pretty similar in the way it functions and it feels uh, to, to the natural limb. Well, it all sounds very promising and exciting. Just to wrap up then, Professor Kim, can you tell us What's next? What are your future research plans? Well, we are currently doing a follow-up study together, uh, and we expect another good paper to be published soon. Um, for me, uh, here at Korea University, I'm, I'm developing a wearable sensor-based robot system. Uh, I'm um, currently co uh, collaborating with a robotic company, one robotic company in Korea. So with that system, I'm planning to build a robotic gait uh, training protocol to improve the gait symmetry of low-limb amputees. So we'll see how it goes well. 
Okay, well, we wish you luck on your research and hope it all does help change lives for a lot of people. Uh, that's all for our in-depth today. We've been speaking to Professor Kim Daegu from Korea University and Dr. Hamid Shakar from Case Western Reserve University. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 26.49 points, or 1.12% on Tuesday, to close the day at 2,383.51. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, climbing 21.17 points, or 2.77%, to close at 784.86. On the foreign exchange, the local currency gained 10.61 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,343.11. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's our daily segment, Korea Trending, where we take a look at some of the other news stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, contributor Diane Yu. Diane, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? Placing countless books in a library is important to give visitors a wide range of selection, but when the books are poorly managed, it's no use. Mm. And it's been analyzed that most of the libraries in Korean universities are going through this problem. Too much of something is never a good thing. According to the Korea Education and Research Information Service on Tuesday, as a result of analyzing the libraries of 10 key national universities, it was found that all of them are saturated with books, but management was poor, calling for more systematic maintenance. Mm, Okay, so let's look at the situation in more detail. When we say that the situation, that the number of books, it was saturated. What do you mean by that? So looking at the current status of each university's book collection as of last year, Gyeongbuk National University's library had over 3.4 million books, a 203% more than its capacity, which stays below 1.7 million. Mm. The next schools with an overstock of books are Jeju National University with a 189% saturation rate, Busan National University and Seoul National University. Right, so usually libraries dispose of books to create space for new ones. Right. Uh, Have they not been doing that then? They have, but even though the libraries of these 10 universities disposed of over 1 million books over the past three years, their collection increased by about 500,000. In particular, university libraries, unlike other public libraries, must dispose of their collections according to stricter standards. However, these 10 universities had different collection management procedures such as disposal methods, operation status of the disposal committee, and number of employees in charge of the task. That's a problem because deciding what to throw away should be carefully decided, right? Mm -hmm. But that requires also staff. So what's the staff situation of these universities right now related to this? Jeju National University has 16 employees in charge of disposing of books, but Chungnam National University and Busan National University only have one person each. Meanwhile, six universities, including Seoul National University, had no budget dedicated to solve this issue at all. Unlike the other nine universities, Seoul National University was found to discard books through the approval of the library director without deliberation by the committee. 
Well, having a well-managed library is an incredibly important resource for students and researchers, of course. It's right. essential uh, to maintain the top standards for a university. Mm-hmm. So hopefully through this discovery, the schools can figure out a better way to manage their collections going ahead. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? We always focus on the great achievements and hear about successful stories and tend to forget the strenuous process and beautiful failures behind them. However, there's an event celebrating the failed attempts taking place at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, KAIST. According to the school, its Center for Ambitious Failure began its first KAIST Failure Week on Monday, which will last for two weeks. Wow, so two weeks uh, <laughs> dedicated to celebrating failures. Yep. Uh, it certainly sounds interesting. Can you walk us through how the event kicked off? Well, with the opening of an exhibition titled Capture the Failure Moment, a photo show for students showing moments that convey a sense of failure. The works include a photo of one student's monitor. And on the screen, there is an English thesis filed open along with the lab meeting schedule notification. The tragic comic moment is when you see another note written that reads, it's an hour before the meeting, but I didn't understand a single word of thesis and would not be able to even if all the time's given. <laughs> yes, I'm sure most of us can relate to this sort of For sure. problem. Right. I'm getting palmy hands just thinking about it. <laughs> I believe there are other opportunities for students to share their stories and to relieve their stress. That's right. The Fail Tasks Showdown Contest will be held on November 1st. At this live stage event, students will be invited to share their unfortunate stories, ranging from activities relating to their studies to their personal lives. It'll be the perfect chance for them to connect with other students. And the audience gets to vote on several topics, such as the most popular failure, and one that was most wisely solved. And even though it's the school's first time hosting this event, I understand that there's been huge public and media interest. Mm -hmm. Everyone's definitely thrilled to hear about the failures that even the brightest minds go through because it gives them a sense of hope. The head of the Center for Ambitious Failure, Professor Cho Sung-ho, said that he's surprised by all the attention and added that people with science and engineering education tend to find one correct answer, but in order to have the flexibility and resilience to embrace different rather than right or wrong, the center prepared an event to create opportunities for students to communicate directly with each other. Yes, it sounds like it'll be quite a fun event, but also a meaningful one. It sounds like a a great way to remind students to embrace failure, not Mm. be bogged down by it, to show that failure is all part of the process. Of course. Okay, let's move on to our final story now. Uh, Some news from the world of football, I believe. With one goal and one assist, English Premier League club Tottenham Hotspur's captain Son Heung-min was chosen as the man of the match. Spurs beat Fulham FC 2-0 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London, England on Tuesday local uh, Korean time. This win puts the team back on the top of the league and fans back to their feet. Yes, and this win and the goal is a Especially meaningful as it's Son's first full match back after his injury, right? Yes, and it's the first time going back on the field in the Premier League after being with the South Korean squad earlier this month where there are two international friendly matches. Son, of course, didn't play the first match against Tunisia, but managed to get some game time and a goal against Vietnam. Against Fulham, the South Korean scored his seventh league goal of the season in the first half and recorded his first assist of the season in the second, contributing to both of Spurs' goals. With four goals in the last four league games, he 
and Liverpool's Mohamed Salah are now joint second in the EPL's top scorer list after Manchester City's Erling Haaland with nine goals. Yes, he's having a much better start this season compared to uh, the last one. Mm. He even won the Premier League's Player of the Month award for September. Right. And his great performances keep coming with another accolade on Tuesday then. That's right. In a fan vote held on the English Premier League's website after the game, Son Heung-min was selected as the man of the match with 59% of the total votes. This is the third time he has won the award this season following the games against Burnley and Liverpool. Yes, some people were worried after his longtime teammate Harry Kane left at the start of the season. They mm-hmm. were the most prolific partnership in yeah. Premier League history. But it looks like it's been no problem for Son and he's developing a new wonderful partnership with Madison as well. Mm-hmm. So the fans are definitely enjoying that. We'll wrap it up there for Career Trending today. Thank you for those stories, Diane. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. October 3rd, the LG Twins booked a direct ticket to the Korean series after securing the KBO regular season for the first time in 29 years. Their devoted fans were understandably ecstatic. Newspapers the morning after flew off the shelves as they looked to collect that piece of history and savour the moment. For this week's Touch Basins Hull, we have a member of the team joining us via video call. We have with us the Twins' first baseman, Austin Dean, to talk about the season, his time with the team and the upcoming Korean series. Mr. Dean, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, congratulations first and foremost. It's a historic and monumental achievement. Uh, Can you tell us how it felt when you knew you had clinched the title? What went through your mind? Honestly, it was pretty surreal. Uh... You know, we went into this trying to go to first place, obviously. Uh, you know, this is my first time in the KBO and just how everything works. Uh, you know, getting first place is it's very important. And I really didn't understand why it was until I kind of got the rundown. But uh, I think the history uh, behind it with LG just made it a little bit more memorable and, you know, that much more important uh, for us to secure first place. So, you know, I couldn't be more proud of my teammates and just how we've played and how we've come together just to achieve that. How did the team celebrate? Uh, we did a, uh, did a little uh, champagne popping in the uh, Lotte and uh, afterwards we did a team dinner and, you know, just really just kind of soaked in the moment and uh, had some good team camaraderie. Well, I imagine you would have been ecstatic as long with the fans as well. But it's been a great season. The Twins, they climbed to first place on June 27th and haven't looked back since. Uh, what factors do you think led to the team's remarkable performance during the season? I think uh, we have a really good team. And, you know, I didn't really realize how good we were until we started playing. Uh, you know, up and down our lineup, one third nine, uh, we're very, we're very stacked. We have really good hitters and we have guys uh, who hit behind me as well that really carried us when uh, the guys in front and, and myself really weren't doing too well at any time. Um, our pitching has been really good this year. Our bullpen has been really good this year. And I think just overall, 
this was just a, a huge team effort and you know not one person not two people it was the entire team contributed to you know this historic season was it the aim to win uh the regular season this year was that the target that was set out at the beginning or was it just about finishing as high as you can see where it ends up that was the target I, we kind of instilled that in the spring training when we were in arizona it was you know that is our goal we were, we were trying to finish first place and uh, that's what we we're striving to do and uh you know our manager young he you know instilled that <laughs> from day one so he was very uh very on top of everything with that so uh, you know, credit goes to him as well, just, uh, you know, pushing us and just trying to achieve that. And how has it been for you personally this season? Uh, as you said, you made your KBO debut this year. Previously, you have played in the majors. You debuted uh, in 2018 with the Miami Marlins and you played for the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Francisco Giants. Uh, what have you made you for your season this year? Uh, I couldn't be more happy with how I finished this year. Uh this was probably the most fun time I've had in baseball in a very long time. And a lot of that goes to my teammates, the fans and the organization have, you know, made it a lot of fun this year and, uh, you know, put a case for me wanting to come back and play here. How has it been different playing here than playing in America? Uh, you said it's a lot of fun here at the moment. Uh, is that just because of the team or is it because of uh, how you've been performing? I think it, a lot of it has to do with the group of guys that we've had on our team, uh, with Hansu and Oji Wan just being the the leaders on the team. Uh, from day one, they've made me feel very comfortable and just let me know just to just be myself and go play, have fun, and you know ultimately just you know be respectful, which I feel like I've been very respectful for them and in the culture of Korea and uh, you know the fans alone, man, my God, it's. Korean baseball is nothing compared to to the United <laughs> States. the the fan The atmosphere is like a ten out of ten, and like it's just so hard to explain. Like every game feels like a playoff game, and that's just so cool. Um, you know, I think the fans really kind of just make you want to perform well, and like just love being loved by them. Can you explain that a bit more for us? We've had uh, players on the show before who've talked about the fans. But is it the volume? Is it the noise? Uh, what is it? Uh, especially for the Twins, they've had a very loyal and long-suffering uh, fan base <laughs> almost 30 years uh, without a title. But even even in that situation, they've been turning up in droves. I believe uh, they drew over 1.2 million fans for their uh, home Man. field this year. That's awesome. That's a huge achievement for them. Uh you know, I think it's the nonstop nine innings, constant cheering, which you don't get in the United States, obviously. You know, there are times where when I was playing outfield, uh, it'd be not a quiet, but it was just like I could hear my own thoughts. Mm. Uh, this year it was I'm singing like every player's chant songs, like keeping me <laughs> calm. Like I felt like that kind of helped a lot. Like I would always talk to guys when they come over to first base and uh you know, it's sing their songs, you know, all that stuff. But like, I feel like that piece of it would just kind of keep me engaged. And, you know, it was, it was just very entertaining to be a part of that. Like you could see the passion from uh, team to team and fans to fans, obviously. And, you know, I think with the success that we've had this year, you know, 
the the loyal LG fans just kept coming and coming and coming and you know they they wanted it just as much as we did right and uh your team has rewarded their loyalty as well this year especially off uh on the field how has it been how have you found the KBO uh so far i understand that you spent a lot of time analyzing uh, opposing pitchers uh, in korea uh, as this is your first season in the KBO and you've had translators to help you with that mm -hmm. uh it was that's something that i've done in the past and it's something that we have available uh in the minor leagues and in the big leagues over in the u.s uh here they have a little bit different uh kind of a setup of how they do their analytics and how we prepare for pitchers i just wanted to take a little bit step further and i had my uh translators here uh chi Yeah, I had him just jot down all my at-bats, all the pitches, where they were located from the very beginning of spring training. And then we upgraded to putting it into a binder where I had just my own personal uh, scouting report of all the pitchers that I have faced, the guys in the bullpen, the starters, location, and uh, pitch velocity, all that. Um, so a lot of credit goes to him for just helping me on that and kind of keeping me prepared on that sense. But You know, as far as the guys in the KBO, dude, like there's a lot of guys that are very bigly caliber, and I was a little shocked at that. I thought I was going to come in and, you know, just be the best player. Not really just the best player, but like guys have that mentality of like thinking that they're going to be better because we're from the United States. And, you know, I got humbled really quickly in spring training when, you know, I saw guys and they had really good stuff. I'm just kind of kicking myself in the foot. So, Right, so the level was uh, higher than perhaps what you expected and you had the help uh, to uh, but still achieve a, a great season, as we've mentioned. Uh, the translator, uh, I'm guessing he's uh, doing more than just translating then. He's helping you with uh, uh, all, all, all areas uh, of your career at the moment. Uh, yeah, so like this, a lot of credit goes to him. He would... Uh... He's a pretty big baseball guy as well. He's been in this league. He was a uh, translator for Dixon Machado and uh, Zach Rex over in Lotte. And there was a lot of times where he knew the guys that were pitching and, you know, he pays attention in the games. So, mm. and he would help me out. He would help me with that a lot as well. So, uh, so yeah, he's doing a little bit more in translating <laughs> and, uh, like I said, you know, a lot, a lot of credit goes to him. Right. Honorable mention for him as well. So while I'm sure you've been celebrating the regular season win, uh, I'm sure focus quickly turns towards the Korean series now because that is the ultimate prize, of course. And history's in your favour. The regular season champions have won the Korean series crown about 84% of the time in league history. Mm -hmm. So are you confident then that you can claim the championship title or do you feel perhaps uh, the burden of history as well? Uh, 29 years without the title as well. <laughs> I mean, you could take it either way. Uh... I feel like my mindset is to is like we just got to be prepared and just be ready to play and just trust our abilities that we have and that we have shown all year that we can go out and beat any team. When we trust ourselves and we're confident ourselves, I feel like we are unbeatable and it, and it showed on the field. So, you know, we just got to just stay prepared, stay locked in, and just be ready for whoever we play for. Are there any teams you hope to avoid? <laughs> No, not really. Uh, everybody's is equally as good. Uh, there was times where, you know, we would beat up on KT or Doosan, and then there's times that they would beat up on us. It's everybody's pretty evenly matched. 
Okay, and finally, any words uh, to the fans out there uh, who are eagerly anticipating this uh, Korean series now? Uh, pretty much just saying thank you guys to the entire season and just showing up and uh, just being a part of this. Uh, I know once that Korean series starts, we're going to have some of the loudest fans and it's going to be 29 years worth of loud noises. So I'm excited for them and just excited to be a part of uh, this moment and just in time in history as well. Yes, so for their sake, I hope you do well. Uh, We wish you the best of luck. That's all for our Touch Base in Seoul segment today. And we've been speaking to Austin Dean from the LG Twins. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you for having me. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions. So they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't get cherry soda. I'm Barista Omburam and the winner of the 2023 World Barista Championship. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. No tea or tomato juice. You'll see. It's time now for the last part of our show, our daily segment, Morning Edition Preview where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's great to see you. Hello, Daniel. OK, so what's the first article from tomorrow's newspapers that have caught your eye? Well, the Craft Prize is an annual award given by the Ministry of Culture and Sports and Tourism and the Korea Craft and Design Foundation. It is awarded to those who have been contributed to promoting craft art in Korea and overseas. Well, according to Park Yuna's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald, this year's winner has been announced. And it is, unfortunately, we don't have a drumroll sound effect, <laughs> but it is Silversmith William Lee. Okay, yes. So congratulations to E. I'm sure he's thrilled with the award. Silversmith, that's very yes. interesting. Can you tell us more about his work? So Lee studied silversmithing and metalwork at the University of London's Camberwell College of Arts. He is currently working in Seoul. The article explains that he recreates a form of traditional Korean ceramics with silver by hand hammering. He is able to create items such as vessels and jars with this technique. And he is no stranger to awards. He rose to international prominence in 2003 after winning the Young Designer Silversmith Award given by the prestigious British Foundation Goldsmiths Company. He received that award while he was still in university. Wow. So he's an internationally recognised silversmith. Yes. That's pretty incredible. So when will this uh, Craft Prize Award ceremony be taking place now? On December 14th at Coex in Seoul, it will be held during the Craft Trend Fair. And during the ceremony, he will receive a cash prize of 15 million Korean won. So that's around 11,200 US dollars. Okay, great. Let's move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? Well, Busan is one of my favorite places in Korea. It has the perfect mix of relaxing beaches, interesting attractions, as well as being a huge city with everything you need. It's a shame I can't go more often. I try maybe one or two times a year. Mm. But it is definitely a place I'd recommend to people who come to Korea for the first time. Well, it seems like these days, the port city is enjoying global recognition. Jung Dae-hyun's article in the national section of the Korea Times explains why. Yes. Okay. So when you say Busan is enjoying global recognition, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean? Can you walk us through some of 
the recognition Busan has been seeing. Sure. So during the Korean War, Busan served as the nation's de facto capital. Sites located in the city relating to the war have been added to UNESCO's tentative list in the modern heritage category. So the sites include the city's Seoul district, that is where the temporary presidential residence was located. Then there's the Busan Modern and Contemporary History Museum. The article explains that it served as the US Embassy and the National Information Center. Mm. And then there's the Amidong Tombstone Cultural Village. Evacuees found refuge there during the war. So, yeah, Busan's entry was added to UNESCO's tentative list back in May. But the reason we are talking about it now is because it was only shown on UNESCO's official website last week. Okay, so they are on the tentative list. But uh, there are still more steps before the sites can receive official recognition from UNESCO, right? Exactly. So Busan Metropolitan City is making preparations right now. This includes seeking a consensus among its citizens and more. The city has been pulling out all the stops to promote itself as an amazing tourist attraction. That is why Busan also grabbed second place in an award organized by Trip.com, one of the globally leading online travel agencies. Okay, so it won second place as well then on this uh, website. How was it able to do that? So it has been focusing its marketing strategies on Chinese tourists. So the article says that the mayor even went on Chinese broadcasts and met with travel magazines so that he could help with promotions. Mm. I did not know that happened, but apparently (laughs) it did. So yeah, when uh, tour groups from China resumed during the summer, a surge of tourists went to the port city. It seems like the city government officials are happy with the results so far and feel that it has helped promote the bid to host the World Expo 2030. Right. I was going to mention that as well. Uh, Of course, the Korean government and Busan have been pulling out all the stops to promote their bid for the World Expo. So this... Uh, these sorts of recognition seem to come just at the right time. I'll add something to this. When I went back to the UK for a vacation in September, it was amazing to see a double-decker bus in London with (laughs) Busan World Expo 2030 on the side of it as an advertisement. It is everywhere right now. Right, so Busan is the town uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, we're talking about this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll see, of course, uh, whether... Busan does win the bid in the end. But yes, uh, in the meantime, it is still being recognised globally for these uh, reasons as well. Yes. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show for today as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jangwa, and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.